Hi. We are Andrea. And Freya. And we're on our way to become best-selling international authors. And we take you along for the ride. And today, we, we've met again with another author. We've first met at the London Book Fair in April. Who is carrying the most beautiful name, Freya North. Mm. She is a Sunday Times <laughs> best-selling author, author of 16 books um, that she has published ever since 1996. And we just had an amazing chat with her about writing and creating worlds and stories. And we can't wait to hear what we talked about. She's been around for almost 30 years in the book world. So there was a big deal of wisdom in what she Absolutely. said and I, I actually could have could have listened to her like forever Me so too. Um, without further ado enjoy the interview and we'll meet you after hello Freyas and, and, and Freya Freya you pronounce it in in, in, in UK we just learned, learned. <laughs> we just learned yeah. <laughs> slightly confusing we've got one Andrea One yeah. Freya, I'm one Freya. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I don't know okay. why the Americans struggle with my name. <laughs> well, Nick Thacker didn't, did he? Or maybe he just didn't. Say I think it. he. I think he avoided saying. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, but it's okay. It's I'm used to. So, um, before we um, before this interview, we've asked you some questions, and one of them was, "What's your favorite quote?" And it is from Robert Frost, no tears for the writer, no tears for the reader, no surprise for the, for the writer, no surprise for the reader. And I was wondering, because um, you, all, you also say that every author should get into screenwriting or at least uh, learn about screenwriting. And screenwriting is, uh, it, it's mainly plotting, right? It's, it's planning a book in, in a lot of detail, isn't it? Okay. And... Like that, I was wondering, where's the surprise moment when you're when you're working like a screenwriter would? So firstly, I think that quote is really perfect. I think if ever you become formulaic as a writer, your readers, they're just going to switch off. You have to live and breathe every second of the book's journey you have to be continually at your at the service of your characters don't feel that you can control them be at their service be the typist who takes down their story okay um now i believe there's no right or, or wrong way to write and i know plenty of writers who plan their books meticulously they'll plan every single chapter before they write a word I <laughs> tend to just feel that my stories are out there they're out there in the ether there are loads of stories just floating around in the ether and sometimes a story alights on my shoulder and then I'm given the responsibility to tell it Um, oh, I love that. <laughs> and that's what I feel. And I feel that when I start a book, although I haven't sat down and methodically plotted and planned it out, I feel like I've almost seen the story 
like a movie that's been sped up at 100 million miles an hour. And I've seen this story like whiz across my mind's eye. And then for me, the process that I use to write novels is that I slow it all down and I almost like pulling down, you know, the um, an old fashioned movie reel. And I just watch scene by scene, beat by beat what's happening. And then I write that down. But I have to believe when I start that there is an existing story, but I don't want to compromise the spontaneity of the story and the surprises and the emotion and the drama by planning everything out and thinking, well, you know, in the next chapter, this will happen and then that will happen and then that will happen. I like to be maybe one or two steps ahead of my reader at any one time, but that I believe that I can sense the entire story existing in me, almost like in code, almost like in, uh, you know, uh, a language I don't understand, but that if I just am patient and let it unfold organically, then the story gets, gets told. And why I feel that screenwriting has been so important to me as a prose writer is that it's helped me do away with any kind of exposition, okay? So that the whole time you show the reader, you don't tell them, you show them. And screenwriting, there's no room in there to keep explaining to the director or explaining to the actor or, you know, explaining to the audience. Mm -hmm. It has to be action and dialogue and a compelling setting. And I feel that, you know, as a reader myself, if I'm in a book where, for example, the author just starts going on too much about the backstory, I know it's very interesting for the author, but for the reader, (laughs) I want to see the story unfolding. So when I write a novel, I have files and files in my laptop of backstory that the reader will never know about. Yeah, But by, yeah. by me knowing about it, I always ask myself when I'm writing, does this move the story on? And yes. if what I'm writing doesn't move the story on, like in a movie, when you're like watching a scene that you just think, come on, come on, <laughs> um, then, then I have to cut it. Then it doesn't go into yes. the book. So having done some script writing, I I really believe it's informed and benefited my novel writing and also dialogue because it makes dialogue, you know, screenwriting requires that dialogue is Mm multi-purpose. So it can move the story on, it can give details without preaching to the reader or the audience. It can build character as well. Mm -hmm. So I think having done a lot of screenwriting, really honing the dialogue aspect, it's improved and crafted the dialogue in my in my novels. And quite often when I'm writing dialogue, I will quietly speak it out loud 
even if I'm at my local library, which is <laughs> where I tend to do all my writing from, I'm the girl in the corner just like muttering. <laughs> Sorry, I, I hope I haven't just uh, gone off no. tangent there. I think I, that's I was an interesting, just... it was an interesting way of bringing that amazing Robert Frost quote with yes. the importance of screenwriting. Even if yeah. you intend never to have anything, you know, be made into a movie or a TV drama, just play with the discipline of screenwriting in your spare time yeah. because I think yeah. it will help it will help any author with their novel. Do you know could... the book uh, Save the Cat? Yes, I do. I've got a copy of it, but I've yet to read it. Do they say something similar? Um, yeah, because Save the Cat, the original one, is about screenwriting. And, yes. But there's an adaption of screen, uh, Save the Cat writes a novel. And that's what I'm just reading because I'm like you, I'm a discovery writer. I, I, I know some points in my story and I, I love that, um, I love that image of somebody's just in the ether, uh, just giving me her story to tell. I love that. That, that's actually, I, I said something like that before. So I totally yes, relate to that. She has multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we just had an uh, interview with Peter Gibbons last week. And he's a plotter and he works uh, with that. Um, in, in Save the Cat, you work with beats and you have, I, I think it's 15 beats and it's like the opening image. Then you have a, a catalyst, which is the incident, uh, in, in, inciting moment and, and all these points up until the finale. And um, I was just wondering when you said um, you feel that uh, something in, in your story doesn't bring the story forward because it's just telling, not showing then um, how do you know that when you don't know the exact points that are on uh, in further away? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I've just completed my 16th novel. And as I continue to write novels, I find there is less and less work to do with an editor, less and less work that I do with my copy or line editor because over the years, having worked closely with a structural editor or a copy and line editor, I've become, you know, um, informed about their skills and their talents. And therefore, when I write, it's almost like I have like a little miniature editor on this shoulder and a little miniature yes. copy editor on yeah. that shoulder. I know them too. Yeah, you know <laughs> I them. can relate you know to that. Them. And sometimes I say, oh, <laughs> shut up. Shut up, I'm doing it my way. <laughs> but um, usually I can, I can get a sense whilst I'm writing. I can usually get a sense whilst I'm writing. Um, but what I do when I write is I have two, two documents open. So I have what I call my document number one and my document number two. And my method, which works for me, might not work for everyone, but it works for me, is that I do all the, what I think of as like the spontaneous, creative storytelling of that novel in the first document. And if I can't think of a word or an adjective or a phrase, I will just put like, you know, six question marks, but I don't want anything to interrupt my flow. So yeah, I will I'm write in that document and then the next day, not that day, I don't read anything back that day, but the following day, I will copy everything I wrote the day before mm. in the first document 
and I copy it into oh, the second document. Oh, that's And so then I just yeah. give myself an hour, a really intense hour, to read through what yeah. I wrote the day before. And so limiting it, that? limiting it means that you don't then waste time procrastinating. <laughs> but I think, you know, having given it the rest of the day and the night to settle, when you come back to it, and also I do it in a different font. So oh, my, in my number one document, I write in Helvetica. In my number two document, where I've copied everything from that number one document, I then put the font into Times New Roman and it reads differently. So you can be yes. more objective. And yes. so I find that the next day in that limited hour, I read through everything I wrote the day before magically where there were question marks the day before, I suddenly realize, oh, I know the word that I meant. And then after an hour, I'm sort of up to date with the story and then back I go into that first document and blah, just let it all out. I just let it all out. And then again, the next morning, copy everything from that document, yeah. put it into the second document, change the font, read it almost like an editor. Wow. How many I could words listen. do you write a day? Sorry. <laughs> Just How many words question. do I write a day? <clears throat> so I know some authors, as I say, my, my absolute firm belief is that there's no right or wrong way to write. Um, but I know some authors that will always write 3000 words a day, whether it takes them two hours or, you know, all day and all night, they will write those 3000 words. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Are you saying that's her... rare? <laughs> yeah, me. No, no, no. That's that's actually Andrea. I'm, I'm. No, I can't. Me. I, I can't work with okay. a, with a with a clear number. This is it's not yeah. working for me. I need to work with other incentives, yes. not with the number. This so, is not something. Know, I know. I know some authors will write from you know uh, according to a set amount of time. So they'll write until two in the afternoon, and that's their writing time. Or they'll start at two in the afternoon and write until supper time. Or they'll start at eight o'clock in the evening and write till three o'clock in the morning. You know, when I was first writing, but long before I was published, I assumed I was doing it all wrong because when you, often when you read or when I read interviews with authors, they were these really tortured souls and they could only write, you know, in the two o'clock in the morning and they had to have a bottle of gin and <laughs> 20 Marlboro light and they had to be like in a freezing cold, damp stone dwelling on a hillside, you know. And maybe for some people so they true. write their best work that way. <laughs> but so going back to your question, Andrea, which was um, how many words, what's my daily word limit? I don't know because it changes. My daily word limit arises according to how productive I've been in the time that I know that I have. So there have been some days when I've been really, really pleased with 700 words that I've written in six hours. And there have been other days when I, in the same time period, have maybe written I mean, the most I wrote one day was 7,000 words. And that was like dropping my kids off to school, writing 7,000 words, picking them up from school. I don't know how that day happened. But <laughs> if I'd have restricted myself to being, I'm Freya North and I write two and a half thousand words a day, 
then I'd have beaten myself up for the day that mm. I only wrote 700 words and yeah. I would have stopped and felt very smug on the day that I was going to write 7,000 words and I'd have said, well, I've written my two and a half thousand words. I'm going to stop and I'm going to go and watch daytime TV now. Goodbye. You know, so um, for me, it's all about disciplining myself and it is disciplining ourselves as writers, yeah. isn't it? To get in the zone. Even those days when I do not feel like it, when I have no muse, when I feel I have no words, nothing's inspiring me, I feel yes. tired, I want to put my head down on the table, I want to I want to clean the inside of the dishwasher, I want to organise all my socks. <laughs> no, that never happened to me. <laughs> right, you know? But it's mm -hmm. my job, it's my job, and I have mm. to sit there and I have to pull it out word after word after word in the time that my busy life, um, you know, um, gives me to write. The reason I, I was asking was because you said um, the next day you take an hour to edit. And uh, I did that when I first started, but back then I was only writing a thousand words. And for that, it was okay. But now I sometimes have days where I write like three or four thousand words and then editing them the other day is just too much. It's just uh, too much time for me to, to, to take for this. So don't you write the next day? Uh, when yes, you're editing, I do. do you write? I absolutely, mm -hmm. but I, I really use, I mean, maybe I should clarify that when I read back, when I've transferred what I wrote the day before into the cleaner document, which is sort of like an ongoing second draft, right? Um, I wouldn't be doing a meticulous structural and line edit. I would be rereading the previous day's work to see where there might be holes, see where there might be fluff that can get, you know, vacuumed away to tighten up here and there. But I wouldn't say that is my full edit. I do that once I finished the book. So I finished mm -hmm. the book in the first document and I finished the book in the second document. And then I print off the second document because it looks completely different in, you know, print on paper. And that's mm -hmm. where I then get my traditional red pen and then edit all of that. And then that then becomes my third draft. And that's the draft that I then would pro probably send to my agent. So I use my first draft to get it all out. I use a separate clean document for the ongoing second draft to tighten it up. I then print out that second draft edited it, edit it with a red pen on paper and then form a third document into which I have copied the second draft. And in that third document, I then input all those editorial changes that I made when I sat with the entire manuscript that was printed. You know, it looks completely different. So actually, you know, kind of speaking of the, the famous red pen, um, very, you know, it's something very frightening actually for an author, because when you have to cut something that you've worked on, it's something that I always struggle with. But I, I'm, I, I, I could have listened to you like all day, by the way, it's just it was amazing mm -hmm. to hear you talk about writing. Yes. And I could relate so much, especially to this movie analogy, because I often find myself before I actually sit down and write a book, I have this movie in my head and then the story just happens. And I love those moments. 
Um, but when it comes, and this is why I love the screenwriting analogy, basically, um, especially because it, it it really does protect you from showing and not telling. And But when you think about, you know, when you go through scenes and wonder whether it moves the story along, something that also I also found um, helpful to determine whether the, the story is moved along is to put myself into the character's shoes and ask them whether they are being challenged. You know, is there a challenge happening in some way for them? Because, you know, if they are if they are just there and telling their life story, it's it's not really moving the story along. Is that something, is, is that a question that occurs to you while you write or when you edit your story? I think so. I think I'm always aware that all my characters in whatever um, aspect will be facing <clears throat> jeopardy. And that as the writer, I know it's coming. And the reader knows it's coming, but the character <laughs> yeah. doesn't know it's coming. But, um, you know, so thoughts of the, the jeopardy that will befall or confront, let's say, each of the characters is always at the back of my mind as I write. Because when I watched the movie of my book, Speed It Up, I remember, you know, as I'm writing, having those moments when I thought, oh, and then, oh, yeah. and then, oh, yeah. you know. So, but the book that I've just finished that will be published next spring here in the UK, I had written about 65,000 words and I deleted 37,000 wow. words. Wow. Because there were whole sections of the book, it wasn't even backstory, it was just drifting. It was perfectly lovely writing perfectly lovely writing but it was just drifting and I thought okay. this isn't a novel this is like stream of this is the character stream of conscious you know consciousness but it's not going to enthrall the reader and as I was writing it I kept even while I was writing it I was getting frustrated that I couldn't take my fingers off the keyboard to stop but I knew it wasn't serving the novel however I, nothing's ever lost, nothing's ever deleted really, because I save all the work in different folders. And, you know, an idea that I have is that a lot of the words that I deleted, a lot of those 37,000 words were quite extensive letters. Uh, when my main character <laughs> has gone to university, there were a lot of the letters that she and her friends wrote to each other and she and her family wrote to each other. And of course she'd write them. And of course she'd say this. And of course her friend who'd gone to a different university would write her a four-page letter saying that. But you didn't really, as a novelist, I didn't need that in the novel. And the reader mm -hmm. didn't need to read them. It was enough for me to say that the character hadn't received a letter for a week and we would all know how that feels but what mm. I would like to do <clears throat> at some stage perhaps is publish those letters separately you know mm. the letters of E.D. Brown I could publish them separately almost like uh, a companion a companion to the book so oh, for example the book that my most recent book Little Wing that's set in the Scottish Outer Hebrides and features a 16-year-old girl in the late 1960s 
who finds that she's pregnant and she's banished to this far-flung, moody, romantic, wild part of the United Kingdom. Um, whilst doing my research out in the Outer Hebrides, of course, you know, I've met some really amazing, fascinating people. And I took some beautiful photos and went on some incredible walks. And my idea as well is to publish a companion piece to Little Wing that will feature interviews that I um, have done mm -hmm. with people that live there across the generations. You know, one amazing woman who is a traditional weaver of tweed. Um, wow. I would like uh, also in this companion book to maybe you know include some of the walks that I did with a map and the places that I like to eat and here are some of my photos so it's an interesting concept now that the novel is but one part of the story and mm -hmm. I think as writers if we have more to say it doesn't necessarily need to be in a sequel it can just be off on a tangent in like a companion piece what I would call yeah you know, a companion <clears throat> for the reader. I think as a reader, the, there have been books that I've read that I thought I'd love to know more about that character or that part of the world or that place that they went to, you know. So I think I, all I think of us that's, authors that's some. I, I think, Andrea, you know, you have made some very good experiences with, for instance, you could include <clears throat> those letters or interviews in, in, for instance, an author newsletter and have yeah. your readers sign up for that and give them for everyone who wants to, to have more information or more to read. I think this yeah. is something that has been very, very popular with you, Andrea, I guess. Yes, it's a it's it's a it's a fantastic uh, reader magnet actually to 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 bring people to subscribe to your newsletter. That, that was the first thing I was thinking. I would use these letters. <laughs> yeah. Tell my readers at the end of the book. Well, you know these letters she wrote. You can read them if you want to. Just sign up for my newsletter. That would be my way. I wouldn't publish them in a in a companion book. Although I think it's an amazing idea. But oh, so, you yeah, could I, do both. You could do both. You could. Yeah, drip, you could do drip both. That's feed true. them. Drip feed them in a newsletter. And then publish them as an anthology. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. that's true. That's not, we can do both. That's so amazing. That's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, well, it's it's so great because you know the book is just like the the main part of something much more, and you there is no bounds for the creativity. Basically, you you can have more things surrounding this this one product, which is I think really really great. But I have to ask: um, Did you end up with um, with the what was it? Um, Twenty-eight thousand words with the, for the whole novel, or did, did you oh, add right. scenes and chapters? I rewrote. So where I lost words, that was okay because it meant that I could then expand the novel in a much more compelling way. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if I'd have kept the letters in, it would have been four hundred thousand words. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So by losing the words, I didn't feel that I was in any way um, thinning down the book or changing the book. I was just, if anything, I was enabling myself to expand it, to expand mm -hmm. the world ah, of the I book. See. That's a lovely way to see it, because otherwise cutting feels like exactly that, like narrowing yourself down. but seeing it as an opportunity to grow basically is yes. is really beautiful yeah yeah i love that too so 
So we have taken some notes prior to this interview and something that uh, I think will we kind of have to venture from from the <laughs> writing part, but more so to the to the, you know, what it means to be an author part is um, you carry a very, very prestigious title, right? You are a Sunday Times bestselling author. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. And it is, you know, a real it's a real marker for you as a writer. I mean, all of the writers, we all get hung up on whether or not our books make it into the Sunday Times top 10. And you know what? You can have books. There are books out there that go nowhere near the top 10 and yet sell millions of copies. And I think what you have to remember as well, I don't know if it's the same in Germany, but in the UK, your ebook sales do not contribute to the official top 10. <clears throat> So I have to remind myself that, you know, over half my sales, I think it's almost close on to two thirds of my sales are ebooks. So yes. if, you know, one one week my sales figures for the for the paper version, you know, I, I, I have to work very hard not to get worried or demoralized about that because I have to remember that those facts and figures that the agents and the publishers love to analyze and analyze and make tables and charts and everything they don't they don't give the full picture right they don't give the full picture so you can have a book that's in the sunday times top 10 that is selling hardly anything in ebooks okay. and you can have mm -hmm. a book that is doesn't even make the top 20 of the official top, you know, bestseller charts, but is selling loads of copies um, as ebooks. Um, okay. So it's, it's wonderful to have it. It's just, and I remember the, <laughs> the first time I went into the top 10, which was with my second novel, Chloe, in 1997 or 1998. And I went out and I bought the Sunday Times and I, I cut it out and I put it in a frame. <laughs> Uh, but I also Aww. bought about 10 other copies of the paper. It didn't say anything different. <laughs> I just kept wanting to like open the paper again and find, <laughs> find the chart and then put that paper on one side and then get another brand new paper and open it again and it was oh, still there. <laughs> Because I think, I'm sure you two I agree. Love that. When, you, when you're first published, it's such, I mean, it's still, it still surprises me that people buy my books Yes. who don't know me <laughs> and who aren't a friend of a friend and whose, you know, mum doesn't know my mum. They're just people out there that my, my, my stories find their way to their lives. And it's just, I love my readers. I love my readers. Yes. I yes, really yes, do. Yes, yes. And some of the readers who've been loyal to me for 26 years, you know, they oh. used to write letters to me that would get sent to um, my agent and my agent would send their letters to me and then they'd start emailing me then they'd contact me via Facebook and Instagram and one of the biggest thrills for me has been meeting some of these you know yeah. really loyal readers in real yeah. life and we've mm -hmm. all ended up in tears because we've known each other since we were in you know our early 20s we've I've known that they've had children, that we've gone through divorces or, you know, experienced deaths or, 
illnesses and it's just been that's a privilege for me is to to meet people who I wouldn't otherwise ever have met who are the people after all never mind the Sunday Times you know it's the people that go out to the bookshops or go on to an online bookshop and spend their own money they choose to spend their money on my books and for that mm. without them I have no career so I'm I am truly grateful to them I feel yeah I feel just like that and I have um I've been only around for five years now but uh since then I have uh, gathered a bunch of people who are just really that loyal to me who've been who, who've, who've been sticking around since then and as you said I know so much about them about their divorces about their cats they sent me pictures of their cats or uh their cottages in 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 the mountains and stuff and I, they just trust me and that's yes. Uh, not only with their money, but with their, with their, with their, yeah, it's a with bit, their privacy. Right. And, you know, it's a big responsibility. And, yes. um, you know, it <clears> makes <throat> me really apprehensive each time I release a book. My first concern isn't, is this going to be a bestseller? It's, are people going to like this book? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to disappoint anybody who's gone out mm. and who's, liked my previous books and you know chooses to buy my books with their own money I don't want them to be disappointed I wish I could you know give them a money back guarantee <laughs> but, do you um, work with beta readers do you work with uh because um my test readers my beta readers they come from my from these readers they come from the people in my newsletter I ask these people who love my books whether they love the new the new book and I, I take their critique and and we work together on my books and I love that and that's amazing that's so brave of you Andrea because I find yeah. that until I I have to have the book completely to myself until mm. until I've honed it enough that I feel confident enough to let it go out there without me and I don't know actually whether I would find critiquing before the book is finished to where I want it to be. I don't know whether I might find that quite, um, I don't think I'd find that, it wouldn't have a positive effect on me. I think it would make me full of self-doubt and I yes, would probably, so. yeah, I like to just have that story to myself and trust that the character is going to bring me that story. Um, but there again, I mean, I don't know if you two do this. I know lots of authors who do, but I also know lots of authors who don't, and I need to um, take their example. But often I will go on Amazon and read my reviews, not the really fantastic five-star and four-star reviews. Yeah. I go and read the one-star review that makes me depressed for two days. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't relate to that, just... too. I just ended up only reading the five star reviews, and the reason um, I, I I wouldn't say that it's brave that I that I have these these beta readers uh, reading the book before I publish it. Well, I have finished writing it, and I have um, I, I re revised it once before I give it to them. Uh, but I would be so scared of publishing a book that nobody has read that I know likes my books because for me this is like an uh, like an insurance, you know, like like they tell me well. This book is good enough for me, so I'm I'm okay. 
And I know I there are I'm, people out there yeah. who, who won't like the book, but those people I've, I've written it for, at least some of them like it. And that's... I have one person I, I'm actually like also, that. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Freya. No, no, no. I was just saying I'm, I'm, I'm more like you, Freya, um, that I, I can't put out a book that isn't finished. And, and I, I couldn't do that either because before this book feels so very personal to me, I have some sort of ownership on the book until <laughs> it's out there. And once it's out there, I let go of that ownership kind of. And I don't know, I can't yeah, I then think apply changes to the book, you know? I hear what you're saying, because I think for me, there comes a point with the book where you know it's complete, where no further yeah. single word or changing any sentence so that the last part of the sentence becomes the beginning part of the sentence. Literally, there's a point where the book is complete and then it exists without us. It exists yeah. as a, as a, you know, in its own right without us. And that's when I can let go. That's when I can let yeah. go. But I think the one person actually whose opinion or whose, no, not opinion, whose reaction to the book I trust a lot is I have a freelance copy editor. So for those listeners or those people watching us on YouTube who don't know um, what a copy editor does, after the book has been structurally edited, when you're then getting the book ready to be typeset and, and then published as a book, you work with a copy editor who goes through everything that you've written meticulously and will find, you know, punctuation that's incorrect or will find inconsistencies or continuity issues, you know, oh, you said the character has blue eyes in the second chapter. How come they're suddenly described like chocolate in the 14th yeah. chapter? Do you know what I mean? And she is, yeah. I've worked with her. She's a freelancer and I've worked with her for many, many years. And she's one of those, she's very methodical, very businesslike woman um, who doesn't give praise. She's not really interested in reading the book as a reader for enjoyment. She's reading it to make sure it's perfect. And when she likes something that I've re written, then I think, yeah, this book's okay. You know, if she mm -hmm. actually pauses to step away from uh, correcting punctuation and syntax and vocabulary and continuity to say, this part really moved me, or I love this character, or this is gorgeously written, then I think, yeah, this book is working. This is okay. It can go out to the public now. <laughs> <laughs> so you raise the level <laughs> because yeah. because it's way more challenging to convince somebody who's not into your books than to convince convince somebody who is into your books, right? Mm. So well, mm. that's even braver, I would say. <laughs> and it, it sounds like I would be very scared of their feedback. It, it's something yes. where you, is, is, that, is this something where you sit on in front of your computer and you await the email like, oh my God. No, um, never. I never okay. ever write. And it's one piece of advice that I always give people when I do, I do some creative writing um, talks and workshops, uh, which I really love doing. And the, as well as telling uh, the people that attend, don't worry, there isn't a right or a wrong way to write. Um, I will also, um, you know, often say to them that, 
you know, not to worry because there isn't a right or a wrong, a wrong way to write. Just write, just write. I also say to them, write as if no one's ever going to read it. Write as mm -hmm. if nobody's looking over your shoulder. Don't yeah. write for your best friend. And don't write because your grandma write, might read it. Because no, for both, you, you, write you will, <laughs> yeah, you will censor it. I mean, my first novel, Sally, was, um, it started, it was 1996, and that it was published. And it has a really explosive sex scene, right? It starts with a really in-your-face, raunchy sex scene. And I had been writing for four years and I'd had loads of rejections. And finally, I had an agent that believed in me and my book was being auctioned between five big UK publishers. Wow. And I nice. came away with a fantastic three book deal. I'd already started my second book. In fact, it was so dreamlike and unbelievable that at the time I was working as a secretary And even though I could then give up my job and write full time, I just thought, no, no, because somebody is then going to appear and say, only joking, <laughs> you know. So I, I continued <laughs> to work for a secretary for another six months or so. Um, but just before my first novel, Sally, that starts with a very, very explicit sex scene, just before it was published, I remember saying to my agent, I, I can't publish this book. What, what's my grandma going to think? <laughs> I can't publish this book. I can't have my grandma yeah. reading this and, you know, thinking that her lovely granddaughter knows language or positions <laughs> like that. And those, you know, that, that's what a man wants. I can't have my grandma reading this book. No, it's not going to be published. And firstly, he said to me, don't worry, darling. Grandmas are unshockable. <clears throat> Um, <laughs> that's true which is quite true I love that my grandma you know she was I mean bless her she she died 20 years ago but um, you know she was born in 1910 she was you know a young woman in the 30s and oh my goodness she had a wild time <laughs> you know but um, you just have to write you, you can't censor don't ever censor what you write because yes. you are worried about so offending true. someone. You know, I love you, that advice. You are just the conduit. The yes. writer is a conduit between the story and, and the reader. And, just, and I just learned, and I just learned you are not responsible for the feelings or thoughts of other people. Yeah. And when they feel offended by what you are writing, it's not your responsibility and not your problem, but it's theirs and it can stay with them. I so, got a, I got that's a letter, so true. Yeah, I got a letter when my children were little um, and I published a book called Pip, which was about a young woman called Pip who um, takes, she's a, a performer and she works in a hospital for sick children as a, a clown doctor, you know, um, performing um, like, a, yeah, a clown doctor um, for, for the children. And I did a lot of research. It was a really fascinating book, in fact, to research and write. It was a real privilege to follow these incredibly talented performers at their work. But um, a, a reader wrote to me and she said that I should be ashamed of myself for the language that I use in my books. 
And how am I going to feel when my children are old enough to read the filth that their mother has written? And I remember being really upset by this, really upset by this, until I said to myself, but I don't talk like that. But the character in the book, there was a character in the book mm -hmm. that is very outspoken, very crude, but that was the character. I, I had to be um, faithful to the character. Otherwise, yes. I'd have, yes. I would write yes. books where every single character sounds the same, is totally vanilla mm -hmm. yes. and terrified. It's almost like, you know, terrified of being cancelled and not saying what they yeah. mean and not saying what they feel. As a fiction writer, it is fiction and exactly. you are you are providing the reader with fully rounded characters and if they swear mm -hmm. or if they behave in a, a way that offends some readers, you're still doing your job as an author because those characters have yeah. become so real to that reader mm -hmm. that they then, Ooh, you know, yeah. contact you to um, chastise you for writing. <laughs> And I, I think that. otherwise you would kind of take away one of one for me at least the one of the most amazing parts of writing is that you have not just your versions of yourself but you have these different people that you can you know write about and to where you can get into their heads and and live the story through their eyes basically and if I, agree, I couldn't and I do that because yeah <clears throat> yeah no no go ahead think, because that I think as well <laughs> Even though we as novelists are writing about fictitious worlds, they have to be authentic. They have mm -hmm. to be authentic. Otherwise, there is, you, you have, your reader has to believe in the fictitious world you are creating that it is authentic. And if you are going to continually censor how your characters behave, feel, and what they say, then you're not providing an authentic world for your reader and your yes. book won't be very good. That's so and, true. Andrea and I just had this discussion actually a few days ago when we talked about, um, I talked about my latest novel and what I wanted to put in there. And I had some personal issues that I wanted to put into the novel or at least versions of it. And she was asking me about, do you really want to do that? And I said, yes, I do, because it's also, this book is also mm -hmm. for me, you know, it's it's a part of me dealing with this stuff and putting it into this fictional world and making it also authentic because I can speak to this, to those feelings. And, um, and I think this is something as a writer, is, I think it's one of the reasons I do write is because I can let all of these feelings out, no matter how terrible they might be or how outrageous they may be, because you actually have this freedom on the page that you might not have in real life. I think as well as authors, if we can put into words feelings and situations, then we have a duty. We have a duty to do that because mm -hmm. it's an ability, a talent that we have and we have a duty to put into words what other people might not be able to put into words. And all of my books are you know they're emotional family dramas very emotional family dramas and I I always have people write to me and it's very humbling for me but they write to thank me because they have been through something similar 
but they hadn't ever been able to access their their feelings about it until they saw their own feelings written down you know written down and in fact I myself I myself have been at the receiving end of that in that um, in 2009 I was going through a very very hard time I'd left the father of my children I was moving my very young children from the town to a small farm in the countryside. My mum had cancer. It was a really hard time. And I was very upset and I felt very alone in the world. And I also feared that I might never find love again. And my wise friend said to me, she said, you know what? She said, I read a book recently and the author said this about love. And she gave this quote verbatim about love. And it was so, it had such an impact on me. And I said, can you say that again? And she said it again. I said, that's really, really amazing. What book's that from? And she said, it's from your book. Wow. And I had, I, I, I didn't remember writing that. And it was so humbling. And I thought, I've got to practice what I preach. But mm-hmm. the fact that, my friends remembered this quote off by heart and yet I wasn't it it proved to me that I wasn't listening to myself (laughs) you know do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. um often in my books you know people say oh do you write about people that you know well no I don't intentionally or they'll say oh you, you know you must put that in a book you must put that in a book and I don't even set out to do that, but obviously as novelists, our own life experiences or those that we've witnessed happening to people that we really love and care about, um, of course they find their way into the books because Mm -hmm. in life, as in fiction, you know, there is no end of really profound, lessons to to be learned um and i think Mm. as well it's something that my best friend said to me she's married to an actor so amongst our our social circle you know we tend to be people in the arts actors writers musicians uh, filmmakers um and my best friend said to me she said the trouble with all of you is she said, you're missing a layer of skin. Ah, okay. <laughs> and yeah, I, thought, I thought, you're right. I'm missing a layer of skin. I am super sensitive, mm. but it's the fact that I'm missing that layer of skin that enables me to write the way that I write because I'm closer mm-hmm. to the nerve endings. I'm closer to, to, to the structure, the bones, the blood of the human condition. You know, so however sensitive I am, I'm sure it, it it can only benefit the work that that I produce. And I would think that you would agree with that. I Absolutely. had never thought of it like that. And I'm, I love that. It's yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. So of whereas I, be... I, I would always apologize or, or even chastise myself. Oh, God, I'm so oversensitive. I'm too emotional. <laughs> no way. I've needed that. I've needed so that yeah. sensitivity. It's like my <clears throat> imagination can be both 
it's both my blessing and my curse because I can get so lost in imagining, you know, oh my God, what if, what if, what if? But also that imagination is what is the backbone of the fiction that that we write. Mm -hmm. So never apologize for being a daydreamer or for being oversensitive. I will want to quote you on that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Never apologize for being a daydreamer. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Me too. It's amazing. So I think this might be great. Oh, I'd love to know what you're working on at the moment, both of you. Um, Well, I'm right now working on, well, it's, it's finished basically, but um, I'm going to launch it differently. And it's, 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 it's quite a different book for me because normally I write romance, um, well, about strong women and, and, and there's a romance part in these books as well and thrillers. Uh, but this time I wrote a book about a 14 year old girl who loses her memory and she's a sailor and uh, she ends up sailing around the world at the age of 40, 15 actually, and, um, finding back her way to her family, which she has lost by losing her memory as well. So it's quite a complex story. And I really love that book. This is, this was one of the books that really came to me. I, I wasn't thinking about writing a book like that. I was just, um, reading a lot of people who are sailing around the world, including, uh, Laura Decker, who's a 40, who, who's been 14 year old when she started out sailing around the world, uh, a few years ago. And then the story just came into my head and I was just thinking of it over and over and again. And I was working on different projects back then, but I had to write it down. And uh, yeah, it was just so this sounds is- amazing. I love that sort of the layering and the symbolism behind traveling and journeying. You know, you yeah. must come and on. Basically, it's. Basically, it's, it's about living your dream and, and you can forget about everything about yourself, but you never lose your heart. You never lose your, your heartfelt dreams. So, yeah. You must come on, um, on my Instagram, um, often on a Wednesday at lunchtime, I do a half hour live with another author called Wednesday Writers. Yeah. And you must be my guest one That's day cool. and we can talk about that yeah. imagination. And Freya, yeah, what are you working on? Well, Freya, actually, I'm, I'm working. working um, I'm working on the third part of my uh, thriller series, um, which is also a story that kind of came to me. Actually, I, I had writer's block when I started this story, and Andrea actually said to me, "Freya, why don't you try to write something entirely different?" So I usually write urban fantasy, and I lo- always love crime and thrillers. And I was like, "Okay, come on." I'm just going to to start this now. Let's see where it takes me. And um, so it, it became the story about this. Uh, it's it's a female judge, and she is this very strong but very sad character who has had very much a lot of loss in her life. But she has a very sharp brain, and and she is basically finding her way back into life by solving cases that surround um, an attempt on her life. Basically, this is what starts the entire story, and. Um, it's uh and and i put actually a lot of my personal experiences into that character and um let her basically um live through a lot of my emotions and which really which really helps me to trans to 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 basically transport them onto the page and i find mm. her overcoming her challenges is actually helping me overcome mine mm. and um so i i just love to write the book and 
so far readers have loved the series and I hope it goes on like that. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. So, yeah. So we would love to do an Instagram yeah. live someday with you. It would be a huge honor. <laughs> yeah, yes. no, it'd be fantastic. And I find as well that the people that tune in, sometimes it's other authors and often it's readers or other people who are trying to write and maybe struggling. And it's always a really vibrant discussion just yes. for half an hour over lunchtime. And then you get maybe... 500 views afterwards so it's good a good thing to do it's very Great. supportive you know rather than like a yeah. straight interview people are always interested I think in <clears throat> how authors do it yes, yes definitely <laughs> as, an, as an author you don't you don't think that I right know. but uh, every time you say well I'm an author people are like what yeah Tell I know <laughs> But I'm like that with other authors as well, like with you guys. Yes, I want to know how you work because it's yeah. different, of course, than I work. And it's so mm -hmm. interesting, this whole and inspiring. Yes. Yeah. And supportive as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think authors on the whole are very supportive to one another because Definitely. it's something that I was just discussing this with an author at the London Book Fair, which is where I met you guys, who said to me, you know, he's fantastically successful, but he said... He just wants authors to keep writing because then it stops the readers drifting off to Netflix. So he was saying, <laughs> you know, he was saying, listen, when I finish a book and I know I've not got another book coming out for, you know, six, eight months, I need all the other authors putting books out so that we can keep the readers. I love that. Reading. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so yeah, we're in this great. together. <laughs> absolutely. 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 So Freya, I think we got our hour full, kind of. Yes. Is there anything else that you wanted well, to discuss? I, I'd like to ask some uh, two questions I always ask on my German podcast, but they're really quick. So the, the first one is, which change do you wish uh, to see in the book world? What change would I like to see in the book world? Right. So there are two things. Firstly, um, about the industry, I think they need to do much more to protect independent bookshops. Mm. Because independent, <laughs> independent bookshops are so important for the community. And I think at no other time did we see this more than in lockdown when the independent yeah. bookshops, they would deliver books to people's doorsteps, they would set up online reading groups. So I would like to see the industry do more to support independent bookshops. And mm. that's, that's one thing. And secondly, I think that the industry has to really look after its authors because without its authors, And without our books, there is no industry. And authors are experiencing, you know, really sizable cuts in their advances mm. these days. And yes, I, I think that. I really feel that the industry, I would, love, I would love it to get to a stage where discounting isn't so extreme. So the authors can continue <clears throat> to make a living from writing And yes. independent bookshops 
can continue to exist because they can compete with the prices offered by, you know, the big mm. online stores. <clears throat> so it's a double thing. Protect the bookseller, uh, protect the independent bookseller and protect the author. Yeah, yeah in Germany, we have the uh, your fixed book prices. So you cannot mm. discount books in Germany. You see, we used to have that in England until I think it was about 1998. And since then, ah, okay. I didn't you know, know I mean, sometimes it breaks my heart because I see, you know, my book is on sale for 49 pence, about 50 cents. Wow. wow. And, you Your know, print I just version. feel so, that it devalues yeah. what a book is. Yes. Mm. And it's different when you make that decision yourself for marketing reasons, right? Um, And not the bookstore who, who has to compete with other bookstores. Yes. Okay, uh, second second questions. Um, which book is uh, highest on your to-be-read pile and why haven't you read it yet? <laughs> well, I can sort of answer that because um, I started it just last night and it's called mm. um, A Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell, who is, I would read her shopping lists. She's such a phenomenal author. And the reason why I hadn't started it yet is that it's a really big hardback book. You know, it's like that mm. big. <laughs> wow. And it's the summertime, so I only have like a little handbag when I'm going out and about, and it's too bloody big to put in my handbag. So I've started that <laughs> now. <laughs> I've started that now. And in some ways, I don't apologize for not having read it because I've seen it on my bookshelf and I've just been growing in anticipation and excitement for the time yeah. when I can start to read it. So, And also, awesome. she's one author who I will always buy in hardback as soon as she comes out rather than, you know, waiting for the paperback. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited about about starting that. That's a great question. I'd like you two to answer that. <laughs> well, I can I can respond to that very quickly. My because my book is actually the the book that Andrea has just talked about, the her book yeah. about the the girl who loses her memory. I've started it and I haven't finished yet. To my shame. And the reason Which why has nothing to do with the book, by the way. No, no, it has nothing to do with the book. It's just, you know, life happens. I'm, I'm a mom to two kids. I got family stuff to deal with. And uh, it's uh, it's hard to balance sometimes. So, um, but I will read it and I really want to read it. So <laughs> I can answer that really quick. Um, and my pile, well, actually, it's it, it's not always the, the case that I don't start reading, but that I don't finish the books I start reading because quite often I start reading books, mainly uh, nonfiction books, and then I just don't go on with, with them. Um, and right now, well, I've just started so many books from that list. So actually there is none that I really, really want to read that I haven't started yet. Um, but I just started Save the Cat, which has been on my list for a while, but I didn't start because I haven't started Save the Cat writes a novel because I always thought that um, plotting means I, I cannot discovery write. I cannot uh, uh, write the way I write. And I just learned that this is different, which is why I started reading the book and I'm amazed. I, I really right. have to admit, I'm amazed um, because it, it gives you the opportunity to put the, the story, the, the, the film you've just mentioned, the movie you've mentioned, um, to, to watch it 
more slowly and pick out these points and, 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 and write them down. And then you can go from point to point. And it doesn't mean uh, that you can change um, these points when you're writing. It just means you kind of have a, um, a clearer idea of that mm -hmm. movie you've just seen, uh, you've just watched so, 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 so in such a, such a fast pace. So yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it's really I worth reading. So we've Freya. talked a little in between yeah. off the record. We may um, let you know about this later, but not today. So stay tuned. <laughs> but now we say goodbye. And thank you so much, Freya, for, for being here. It was a pleasure. It was so amazing to talk to you. So inspiring. And absolutely. Yeah. It felt like destiny. It, you, yes. you said it, I think, at the beginning. It really did feel like destiny. And I feel like this this conversation... It's just has a start. brought me a long way already. So it's it was just great talking to you. Well, the pleasure was mine. It's just the community of authors, you know, internationally, we're all in this together. We're all storytellers. And it's just so wonderful to get to know each other and to support each other. So it's been a real privilege to talk to both of you today. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. And have a beautiful afternoon. You too. <laughs> and Bye. see you again soon. Bye. So, what do you think? Are you inspired as we are? What What did you take from 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 this episode? Just comment be below this video or send us an email. Follow Freya on her Instagram. Freya. Uh, so Freya. Freya North. That's so confusing to me, people. Uh, just just follow all of us, but her because as you've heard she's talking to um instagram uh, on instagram to 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 other authors and we we will be there so if you have inspiration to share like she has or if you have thoughts on these incredible thoughts that she has just you know shared with all of us um which that are still you know taking up a life on their own in my head and i can't wait to see what they are going to be at some point so um just leave a comment write us a message get in touch we would love to talk to you about it and um yeah so take this inspiration we are happy to share <laughs> and if you want to be on our podcast just write us an email and we'll talk about it or a message whatever works for you so just say hi somewhere and we say bye <laughs> Yeah, I'm not that good with jokes. So have a beautiful day, whatever time it is at your place. Bye. Bye. -bye.